Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. That song you're hearing, it's called The Turn. It's by musical artist Kristen Lien. She's a classically trained viola player based in Los Angeles, and her songwriting process is a little unusual. The the little plucking notes that happen have a, have a really teardrop shape. It's like circular, but slightly teardrop. You see, as far back as she can remember, Kristen has had a visual experience when she composes and plays music. There's like an orange in the background and there's like a blue-purple thing happening with the notes when I'm doing those plucking notes. And it's quite pretty. It's always this place that I want to go. Kristen has synesthesia. What is that? Well, it's a trait that essentially causes a multi-sensory experience. Basically, one sense elicits another. And then they kind of intertwine. Some people, like Kristen, see colors and shapes when they hear music. Others might get a taste of flavor when they touch an object. You might be surprised by how many different ways the senses actually can blend together. But unfortunately, there are also times when the experience is not as pleasant. The producer I was working with, he would create these mixes and just experiment for fun, but sometimes he would send me files that just gave me immediate nausea. Like, it, it wasn't right, and it would give me immediate nausea or chills or just, just instant headaches. And I don't even get headaches. I'm not one to get headaches. As we come to the end of our season on The Senses, I wanted to take a look at synesthesia, this rare trait that melds some of the senses that we've covered in the last few months. Smell and taste and sight and sound and touch. They're all more complex than we think. And the important point here is that they're not so siloed. All of the senses we have can cross-connect in our brains. And in synesthetes, that connection is stronger than average. But why? Why is that? What does synesthesia tell us about the ways we perceive the world and about the power of the human brain? I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and it's time to start chasing life. It's no secret, the brain is one of the most fascinating things to me, probably to all of us. And I love that I'm constantly learning new things about how it works. There was, a, you know, there was a speech module, there was a, you know, a hearing module, a vision module, and there was, by definition, no crossing among the two. The modules remained separate. And that's one of the things that, that synesthesia has caused a, a paradigm shift in how we think about how the brain is organized. That's Dr. Richard Saitoic. He's an author and a neurologist who's been researching synesthesia for decades. In fact, he remembers the first time he encountered the term synesthesia. You know, the word anesthesia means no sensation. So synesthesia means joined or coupled sensation. So I read about that 
in the sub-basement of the library in an old book. And I thought, oh, that's great. File that away. A long time later, a new neighbor invited me to dinner. And he wanted me to meet some new friends and all that. So he said, oh, we'll be a few minutes. There aren't enough points on the chicken. Now, his friends laughed and said, oh, Michael, what are you smoking now? (laughs) And instead, he turned to me, beet red, as if he had let out a horrible secret. And he said, well, you're a neurologist. Maybe you understand. When I taste something, I also feel it on my face and in my hands. A feeling sweeps down my arm, and I feel weight, shape, texture, temperature, as if I'm actually grasping something. And I said, oh, you have synesthesia. And I was just trying to be polite. And Michael said, you mean there's a name for what I do? <laughs> and I thought, how could he not know? And, uh, and that's when I thought, this may be something rather strange. And as to hammer the point home, when I told my colleagues uh, in neurology about this, they said, uh, oh, well, what does this CAT scan show? And it's like, no, no, you don't understand. He doesn't have a hole in his head. There's nothing <laughs> missing. He's got something extra. And they looked at me and said, oh, man, this is too weird, too new age. You better drop this or it's going to ruin your career. Wow. What they wanted was um, an objective third person, meaning technological verification of what is a first person experience. And that usually meant they wanted pictures of the brain. And so when we finally got the higher quality scanners, and we had pictures of the brain. I said, well, there it is. What was it that you saw uh, on those brain scans? What was ultimately convincing to those naysayers? It just showed on scans what we already knew um, in person is that so when somebody, let's say, uh, um, sees colors when they hear spoken words, so the auditory, the hearing cortex lights up on both sides, as you would expect, but then also the color area, V4, at the now it seems like it's pretty embraced the idea of synesthesia. Oh but, right! But at the time, I mean, as you say, you, you were risking not just risking ridicule, enduring ridicule to introduce this or reintroduce it even to the modern scientific community. Is that right. am I overstating that or is that no no no? It took it took fifteen years until I got past all the naysayers. But I mean, I would present the. Uh, at scientific meetings or posters, and people would come by and said, oh, then all these great professors would say, you're wasting your time. You know, this is, you're all, you're wrong. This can't be true. You know, this is all bogus. But it wasn't bogus. There was something there, something that can even be seen on brain scans that allowed people like Michael to taste the points on his chicken. And it has to do with the way that synesthetes form cross-connections in the brain. It's not a question of are there cross connections in the brain, but rather how how much how many cross connections there are and in whom. And so, in synesthetes, are a subset of human beings that have this increased level of cross connections going on. But we all have them. For example, we all lip read, even though we never know it. In cinema, sight and hearing are so tightly bound that we never really notice it. Sing it, Sam. You must remember this, a kiss is just a kiss, a Cinema is a great example of where we are lulled into the illusion that the sound dialogue is coming from the actor's mouth on the screen huh. rather than the speakers that are surrounding us. Dance is another one where, where physical movement echoes the beat and rhythm of the music. 
And even bad ventriloquists can convince us that the dummy is talking. <laughs> right. Is it, what, what is synesthesia in the sense that is it a condition? Is it a trait? I call it a trait, like having perfect, it's a sensory trait, like having perfect pitch. Because you, so it's I either ask, all or nothing. You either have it or you don't have it. You cannot develop it by practicing, for hmm. example. Um, and it appears in uh, it's strongly inherited, so it appears in multiple generations of a family. So, f- as far as music t- musical talent goes, the Bach family is a prime example, but hardly unique. And so, for synesthesia, it's an autosomal dominant trait, meaning that it's passed down from either sex parent to either sex child. And the most I've had is four living generations, but historically they've gone back even further. How prevalent, that? I, I don't know if this is a, a number you can project, but how prevalent do you think synesthesia is? Take, take the United States, for example. Well, well I'll give you the world. Uh, one in 23 people in have, have the genes for synesthesia, hmm. but they are not always expressed with 100% fidelity. So a smaller number have outwardly manifest, outwardly uh, obvious synesthesia, and that's one in 90. The most common types are are sensing the days of the week is colored, um, alphabets and letters and numbers, that is, even though they're printed in black ink, people will see them as as colored. Were there any particular synesthesias that really jumped out at you? I mean, the ones that you would describe to people uh, as part of your, your, you know, you, you know, understanding? I suppose the strangest form of synesthesia I've come across is called audiomotor, and that really is rare. Um, a young boy claimed that he could, that, that certain words demanded certain body poses, <laughs> and so the psychiatrist gave him, a, you know, names and a list of words, and the boy is, you know, assume these postures and the psychiatrist sketched them out. And then um, 15 years later, without warning, he did the same thing. And the, the, the kid just, well, now he wasn't a kid anymore, uh, assumed the same postures for the wow. same things. So that was very strange. And I guess that relates to sort of like, think about music when you sort of have to move and you know, tap your feet and 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 do the jig to the, the music because it's so infectious. It may be something like that, that the sounds were related to a, a motor position. <laughs> so with the story you give about this boy who assumes these postures in response to, to some sensory stimuli, that seems pretty obvious. But how hard is it to verify someone has synesthesia otherwise? Well, the story, I mean, again, you want a third person verification, a technological one, uh, a third person verification for a first person experience. And so you can do that, but it's very difficult with scanners. They're expensive, time consuming and all that. And then once you've done that, to me, I, I say, so what? We, we, we already <laughs> knew this. Now you're just showing it with the machine. Okay, Synesthetes all tell the same story. It's remarkable to say, I've always had it since a child. I've never not had it. It's always the same. You know, if B is blue when I was when I was a girl, I'm 65 now and it's still twinkling blue the same as always. Hmm. Um, I, my mother had it. My daughter has it. Synesthetes do not want to call attention to themselves. Hmm. Because they've been ridiculed. I mean, one one woman I use in my talks, she's as a seven year old, she told her best friend that the letter A was the most beautiful pink she'd ever seen. 
What does your A look like? She asked. And her friend turned to her with this withering look and said, you're nuts. <laughs> and after that, uh, Carol never talked to, mentioned her colored letters again. Because synesthesia is so individual, it can be isolating. But for people like Kristen Leanne, this trait is what makes her art feel like a vibrant experience. Synesthesia to me is like a fraction of a bigger conversation about what it is to be human. Like the entire holistic human experience. It's, a, it's, like, an, it's like a great opening to something bigger. When we come back from the break, more on creativity and synesthesia, as well as some questions for Dr. Saitoic from Kristen. But first, now that the season is coming to an end, we are hard at work on our next one. It's going to be all about social media and phones and the way that technology is fundamentally changing how we communicate with our family, friends, colleagues, with each other. I think about this topic all the time, in my professional life, as well as my personal life as the father of three teenage daughters. Do you have any questions or concerns about our ever-evolving reliance on technology? What about the role it plays in our relationships? If so, record a voice memo and email it to asksanjay at cnn.com or give us a call at 470-396-0832 and leave a message. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protest that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. And now back to Chasing Life and my conversation with synesthesia expert, Dr. Richard Saitoic. Do synesthetes, do they tend to gravitate toward a, a certain field? Is it more likely that they would be in a, in a creative field? No, people think, people assume that they must be more creative. Um, again, another study but done by a postgrad showed that there's a tendency for them to be just more creative in general, but not necessarily, you know, creative. We only, get, I think we have this association because of the famous synesthetes that we've had. So Kandinsky, David Hockney, uh, Billy Joel, uh, John Lennon, 
Um, I'm sorry, Paul McCartney, not John Lennon. Um, and so we say, oh, if the famous person had, had synesthetes, therefore oral synesthetes are creative, you know, um, but that's not true. It doesn't work that way. Does the idea or concept dictate a certain color or vice versa? Color is uh, overwhelmingly the most uh, common secondary attribute in, in synesthesia. It's the physical stimulus. So they're looking at something and it's the shape of the letter on the page that determines it. Mm. For others, it's the sound. But for then for the phoneme as opposed to the grapheme. And then the first few others, just it's the concept is enough. They think of five and they see rosy pink. Where, where are we in our knowledge of synesthesia at this point then? Are, are, there, are there mysteries? I'm sure there's always mysteries you'd still like to address. Synesthesia appears early in childhood. Okay, and uh, Daphne Moore at McMaster University, she proposed that even young young infants up till the age of three months all have synesthesia. And these, hers are very, very clever experiments because you're dealing with a nonverbal creature, right? Right. So um, for me, it is... Well, you know that, that that children go through developmental stages. They're, they're at this age when they learn to... to First, say a few words and put together a phrase and the sentences when they learn how to, the names of the foods that they eat, the days of the week, how to tell time and all that. So those stages are, are very well known. So my question is, are there certain times when a certain, are there, are there certain ages when a given kind of synesthesia first appears? And I just, you know, even just to suspect that there might, again, talks about the the longitudinal development of, of the brain and, and, the, and the human being. Is that, is that one of the, the sort of uh, examples of, of a broader relevance to the study of synesthesia? I mean, we, this is, it's fascinating in and of itself, but are there applications that you think about that may result from this work? Um, not specifically. Um, I think the broader re- the relevance is um, to appreciate that uh, the world abounds in individual subjective differences uh, and that we all, we, we grow up, we're conditioned by our background, the socioeconomics, the religion, our parents, and the kinds of things that we're exposed to as students all the way throughout. And these, this conditioning um, makes us see things in a certain way. So there's nothing, there's no such thing as true objectivity. I think that's baloney. And what the really lovely thing for me is, is that these young people, when they realize that their playmate, their classmate has synesthesia, it's like the the curtain parts. And it's like, oh, wow, people see things differently than I do. The whole world looks different to them. And so already they're introduced to the idea of individual uniqueness and differences. And so it makes it easier to tolerate or understand other differences that, that they don't have themselves. So, we, Professor, we have a couple questions uh, from a synesthete that we talked to, a musical artist named Kristen Lien. And what she was driving at was her music-based synesthesia. She's curious, could it have developed over years considering where the viola sits on her body, like where it's, its relationship to her spine and her brain and her heart, or was she likely born with it? Oh, I'd say she was born with it. Kristen also wants to know, if, if you are a synesthete, 
are there behaviors or activities that you could be doing in this case? Could she be doing to maintain that? I don't think she needs to do anything to maintain it. It will maintain itself. Now, there are a few exceptions where it has either appeared or disappeared at around puberty. But of course, puberty is a time when there's enormous changes, not only in the body, but in the brain. This is the second time it's undergoing a massive reconfiguration. The first being around birth, that after birth, there's a massive die-off of neurons. Okay, so you either have synesthesia or you don't. But Kristen wanted to know, is it a matter of focus? Meaning, could some of us have it and not even know? I wonder if we all like focus a little harder on like our inner world. I do some people have it and not realize it. There are cross connections in the brain for everybody. It's a question just then of how much. So synesthetes have a great deal. Most of us have very little. And so uh, when we can when we're able to quiet down the cortex, the chatter of the conscious mind, then that may allow these cross-connections to then manifest themselves into consciousness. You know, I've got to tell you, working on this particular season has given me a newfound appreciation for all of my senses. I live my life differently now as I pay attention to the senses and really understand them. And I'm reflecting now on the advice from Dr. Saitoic and the experts we've heard from throughout these episodes, like quieting my mind, really taking in all of the sights and the sounds and the smells and the textures around me. Hearing from Kristen and Dr. Saitoic also reminds me that people do see the world differently, from tasting a favorite dish to smelling your mother's perfume or hearing the sound of your baby's laughter. Individuals experience each of these senses in unique ways. Remember that. None of us see the world. None of us feel the world or sense the world exactly the same. Your brain is likely to perceive the world differently than mine does. And because our senses are constantly working in the background, kind of like an invisible operating system, we do usually take them for granted. Yet, they're extremely important. They allow us to experience the richness of the world, and they definitively enhance our quality of life. On that note, I'm wishing everyone a wonderful holiday season. It's been a pleasure to hear the way certain episodes have impacted you and what you've learned about the senses. I want to let you know that we are going to take a short break, but we are working on something terrific for next year, so stay tuned. We'll be taking a hard look at our screens, you know, the ones that we constantly stare into day and night, and we're going to examine what all that technology and all that social media is really doing to our brains, what it's doing to our relationships. It is a topic that is very dear to me as a father of three teenage girls. I often think about the world they are inheriting and how it's going to be so different than my own childhood. You're not going to want to miss this. Talk to you in the new year. And as always, thanks for listening. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Our podcast is produced by Emily Liu, Grace Walker, Xavier Lopez, Aaron Mathewson, and Andrea Kane. Our intern is Amber Alasawi. Haley Thomas is our senior producer, and Abby Fentress-Swanson 
is our executive producer. Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. And a special thanks to Ben Tinker, Amanda Seeley, and Nadia Kunang of CNN Health. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.